Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I'm very happy to be back in the presenting chair after a summer where we were talking about the end of the world. And we are going to be talking about the election, which is possibly going to be the least unpredictable, but the most important in all of the elections that have taken place across the European continent this year. It's the German election. We're now just days away from the count. And I'm very happy to be joined by two colleagues from our Berlin office, Josef Janning, who is the co-head of the office and a senior policy fellow at ECFR, and Ulrike Franke, who is newly installed as a policy fellow in the Berlin office. So, Josef and Ulrike, let us know both what you think is going to happen in the elections and then also what the consequences for Europe are. So, Josef, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you tell us what the opinion polls are saying and what the range of possible coalitions might be if you look at them? Well, the, the opinion polls see the CDU, CSU uh, winning this election at around 38 to maybe 40 percent. There's still a good margin of error in there, with the Social Democrats being somewhere between 2021 20, and 23, maybe 24, but more likely not that high. Uh, percent of the vote. And then there's a struggle for third place. Um, currently, it seems that AFD, the right-wing party, can expect to get around 10, maybe 11, but only maybe 9%. The Liberals, 8 the uh, Linke also at 8 and the Greens at around 7 With that constellation, there are three principal options. Um, it would be very difficult uh, for a coalition of the Christian Democrats with the Liberals. The CDU needs to win 40%, if not more, in order to, to get that. Uh, otherwise, it would be a Jamaica coalition to have a majority in parliament, which is a coalition with the Christian Democrats, the Liberals and the Greens. Or finally, it, it could, would be another grand coalition between the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats with Merkel in the lead. OK, so why don't we uh, unpick those three different scenarios? Um, Ulrika, why don't you help us go first? If, imagine that we have a return to kind of politics as usual and... Uh, you get what uh, is called a black-yellow coalition. So this kind of small coalition with the two parties, the, the, the Liberal Party and the CDU-CSU, the two wings of, of, of Angela Merkel's party. What does that look like? I, I like that you call it politics as usual, given that the uh, Liberals, the FDP, hasn't actually been in Parliament for the last four years. I'm showing my age, I think. Exactly. Yeah, so for them... So first of all, the FDP hasn't been in Parliament for the last four years. Um, so for them, it's going to be a success that they re-enter, which they will. And it would be, um, you know, quite impressive if they went into government right away. Um, I think there is actually a good possibility that that may happen. As you have said, most polls don't give the CDU and FDP a majority. But I think there is still a lot of um, uncertainty around this. About 40% of voters don't know yet who they're going to vote for. So um, let's say this happens. Um, if there is a majority for uh, CDU, FDP, they're going to negotiate a coalition, and I think this is going to work, um, contrary to Jamaica, which I don't think is ever going to happen. Um, and the interesting bit is that that actually has big repercussions for Europe, and namely for the negotiations with Emmanuel Macron in France. Because the FDP has been 
quite critical of uh, Macron's proposals for the reforms for the Eurozone. So the FDP is a very pro-European party, as are all the parties that are likely to get into government. Um, and they even kind of portrayed themselves during this campaign as the true pro-EU party. Um, but still, um, Christian Lindner, the head and kind of most important politician in the FDP, has said that he was quite critical of, the, of Macron's reform project. So I think that negotiating that between Merkel and Macron is going to be harder if we indeed see a CDU-FDP government. So, Josef, you know, um, Ulrika says that Lindner and the FDP are, are very pro-European, but they're not pro any Europe that exists in the real world. I mean, Lindner has said that he's against any bailouts of any other country. I mean, the current EU would be impossible if the, the FDP manifesto was actually implemented. Can you talk a bit about some of their proposals on Europe? Uh, well, right. You know, they have been traditionally very critical about what they see as an interventionist uh, state policy. So the classic liberal position has been to uh, to even dislike uh, the European Economic Community. In, the 1950, in 1957, the Liberals voted against the Treaties of Rome in the German Parliament because they thought it was, it was big state, it was uh, economic protectionism. You know, a little bit of that resurfaces today, but I think what is driving uh, Lindner's policy more is that his sense is that the German public is very critical about any further uh, commitment uh, in fiscal terms in the Eurozone. And he plays with this as he was playing with uh, uh, the notion that one should uh, sort of freeze the Crimea, Eastern Ukraine uh, conflict and, and try to a restart of relations with Russia. I think that is also a, a, a policy that or a statement that is driven by what he believes uh, uh, is something that the people would like to hear. So Ulrika, can you tell us a bit more also about Lindner as a person? Because he, he was trying in the campaign to portray himself as a, a German Macron. There are the pictures of him which make him look a, a bit like Hugo Boss uh, model from the 1980s with a designer stubble and black and white kind of poses. Um, maybe it's Calvin Klein. I can't remember what the uh, what the 1980s uh, advertising um, uh <laughs> Were. But um, uh, he has sort of come out of nowhere and, and, and tried to reinvent the party. Uh, yeah, so I don't know about the 1980s Calvin Klein models <laughs> either. I wasn't born then. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so Christian Lindner has been portrayed as a bit of a poser um, in the sense that pretty much all of the FDP, um, uh, the FDP ads have him and kind of um, very dreamy <laughs> uh, pictures of him. Um, so there's there, there definitely an element of that. Um, I think he has rejected the Macron uh, comparison simply because he certainly doesn't have Macron's vote. Uh, the FDP is around, uh, you know, nine, ten, eight percent, something like that. Um, he is unbelievably important for the FDP. At this point, he almost is the FDP. Um, when, when it comes to FDP personnel um, in Germany, few people would be able to name anyone but him, um, which may work insofar as that he's relatively well-liked well despite the poser image. Um, people generally, you know, rather, rather like him. But of course, um, if we're talking about the FDP going into a coalition, uh, we're going to need more than one person. Um, especially because Lindner has 
somewhat signaled that he doesn't that he wouldn't like to become a minister, but rather would like to to continue leading the party. So we we need more personnel in the FDP, but him. But he's certainly the most important and crucial person within the FDP. And what you, what job might he then do then? If uh, you, you don't think he'll be in government at all, or do you think he it's that just that he doesn't want to become foreign minister after the disastrous uh, experiment of putting Guido Vestavella? in charge of uh, German foreign policy last time there was a, a coalition with the Liberals? Yeah, that's a very good question. So traditionally, the smaller party in a coalition government gets the foreign ministry, um, which is why the FDP actually has some prominent uh, figures, uh, some prominent people that were foreign ministers before, not so much Westerwelle, but Genscher. Um, and, and in the last few months, Christian Lindner actually said a few things on foreign policy that initially made me believe that he may be interested in the post after all. However, he has now rejected that. I mean, he has hinted at being interested, if he's interested in a ministerial position at all, being interested in something more economically relevant, which would be either economy ministry um, or, more importantly, the finance ministry. And that's where it gets tricky, simply because, as most of our uh, listeners know, there's Wolfgang Schäuble, uh, one of the best known and, in Germany, most liked uh, German politicians, who has been the finance minister for, for quite a while. And he is, at this point, set to continue being the finance minister, despite turning 75 today when we are recording this. Um, so I, I don't know whether the FDP would be could get that ministry, I would be surprised. So um, this is something for the negotiation, to be honest. Um, from what we've heard from Lindner, it's possible that he may not go into government at all and keep and, and keep leading the FDP party. But um, to be honest, I don't have any inside information, so we'll have to wait for the negotiations. So one possible person who is sometimes talk, talked of is an ECFR council member, Alexander von Lambsdorff, mm -hmm. who's a, a former German diplomat who's been out there um, talking a lot about FDP foreign policy. But how, mu how much of the manifesto do you think um, would actually make its way into a coalition agreement, Josef? And what do you think the, the real red lines are? I mean, how, how much of this kind of anti-transfer uh, union, Eurosceptic stuff uh, is, is campaign rhetoric as opposed to things which are central to what Lindner would want to do in office? I don't think that they will be able to uh, get a one-on-one -on -one, um, entry of their views into the coalition agreement. And it wouldn't be, you know, uh, that that uh, controversial a discussion because the CDU will say we're also against transfer union. It's not that we are in favor of it and you are against it. Uh, so they will oblige uh, the liberals to subscribe to a policy that says we want to strengthen the European Union. We want to strengthen um, also coherence. We want to strengthen uh, structural reforms in the European Union, and we are determined to preserve the euro. So they will have to uh, sign that if they want a coalition agreement. But their their impact will be felt uh, whenever Merkel uh, has to argue um, a step out of the current status quo, because then she will have to um, pay attention to how the liberals uh, position themselves because they can they can be inside a coalition and still be skeptical. That, I think, for her is the hard part because she knows of the skepticism in the German uh, public uh, on, on all of the euro-related issues. Uh, however, I if, I, if I can come in here, um, I think a lot of people realize that the stakes are quite high, and that includes Lindner. So it's true that, you know, he and, and also the CDU, as you have pointed out, um, are somewhat skeptical of some of the euro reforms. However, 
the, the line, if we don't help Macron now, we're going to see a Le Pen pres presidency in 2022, I think, um, has been heard and has been uttered quite often. So I, d despite that kind of skeptical approach to these reforms, I think, you know, whatever German government gets into power, they're going to try their best to work with Emmanuel Macron as much as they can. And I think that is something that the German public actually supports. It's so, true that they are also not big fans of the euro reform, but German, the German public loves Emmanuel Macron and they certainly want to see him uh, succeed. So, Josef, why don't you take us into the second possible coalition? I, and so that is basically taking all of the difficulties of negotiating with the FDP um, and then adding in a third party. Well, fourth party, actually, if you count the, the CDU, CSU as two parties, which is the Green Party. What does that look like? Well, that's going to be um, a much more complicated game, because uh, in that case, also the CSU, will try to present itself as a true coalition party because then there will be two other small parties and they will feel that there's a risk that they get lost. Plus, the Greens bring in uh, an agenda uh, of their own. No? Uh, and the, the entire uh, attempt to form such a so-called Jamaica coalition will be driven by the Social Democrats because uh, it assumes that in the moment uh, that the election's outcome uh, gives room for a Jamaica coalition, the Social Democrats will announce that they will go into opposition. And then basically Merkel will have to try Jamaica uh, before other options because the Social Democrats will have signaled that they are not ready for a grand coalition. And uh, I think it, it is negotiable, it is going to be complicated, but uh, it is possible to see uh, that these uh, rather uh, colorful mix of parties can come to an agreement, but then it, this agreement will have to be uh, ratified, so to say, uh, among the uh, within the parties. And whereas CDU, CSU, they can do it um, on the uh, top level of the party, uh, likewise the liberals, but the Greens are committed to ask their members um, how they feel about uh, the Greens entering into a Jamaica coalition, which I think is the Achilles heel uh, of that coalition building process, because the members, uh, particularly when the Greens are the smallest party in that uh, Jamaica coalition, uh, are torn between uh, a more fundamental opposition position and, uh, like the current leadership and frontrunners, Katrin göring eckert and Cem Özdemir, uh, uh, determined to enter into a government. No? So, so this is the basic split uh, among the Greens, and that could kill uh, the perspective of that particular coalition. So, Ulrike, if we suspend um, our judgment about whether it's going to be possible or not, what would the Green Party be calling for as part of a Jamaica coalition? What are their kind of bottom line issues and how do they distinguish themselves on Europe and on foreign policy from the uh, black and yellow parties that we've discussed so far? I like that you really want us um, to, to comment on that despite us both not agreeing that it's actually possible. Um, right. So if the Green have their say... Um, so the, the Greens are also, again, very pro-European. Um, they are much more federalist, let's say, than the FDP, um, where the FDP calls for strengthened nation-states working together. The Greens are much more um, about solidarity, about um, helping uh, weaker states, um, in particular when it comes to questions such as Greece. Um, I think there's going to be a, a big debate between the FDP and, and the Greens. They would approach this very differently. Um, also, the Greens are 
against an idea of, of a core Europe. Um, and they have actually accused the CDU of um, strengthening that idea too much. The Greens want a united, a uni unified Europe where all the member states work together and, and no one is left behind, if you like, um, which, of course, is a nice ideal, but um, particularly in the, in the CDU, uh, more people think that we should move forward with those that, that are willing and strong enough. So I think that that would be one of the, the main issues, the kind of strong nation states versus um, a more unified, um, one-speed Europe, if you like. But presumably sure. what you would get from the Green participation is much more leverage for Angela Merkel, who would be able both to um, trade the CSU um, in her own party off against the Green Party and the Liberals. So a lot of people I've spoken to think that she would be much keener on a, on a Jamaica coalition than a pure black-yellow one. Oh, I think that the public would hate it, though. I, I'm really, I mean, again, I'm really not convinced um, that this can work, but I, I don't think that the public is a big fan of this either, um, mainly because the German public don't like three-party coalitions. I mean, this is really getting messy. Um, in other countries, they, they don't even have coalition governments at all. We're used to this. But it's three parties. It, it gets really difficult. Well, um, and I'm not, I'm not so convinced that Angela Merkel would be, would be so happy with this. I mean, I, I don't know you, who you're talking to, and it's certainly interesting, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced. And what's Angela been telling you, Josef? Uh, well, I, th I think that, that uh, she actually does have a few options to hedge a little bit uh, her risks in such a coalition, but it's not going to be easy. You know, she could, she could use the pro-immigration stand of the Greens against the Obergrenze, you know, the ceiling argument uh, of the CSU. She could uh, use the, the social um, benefits and the and the uh, European solidarity argument of the Greens against the uh, Euroscepticism uh, of the Liberals. I think that's true. But also she will have to deliver on the um, demands of the Greens when it comes to CO2 emissions, to climate change, uh, to setting uh, more uh, demanding targets, to phasing out uh, um, the traditional combustion engine and things like that, which is would be very important for the, for the Green uh, Party membership uh, to have something visible in a coalition agreement if they should say yes to that. Also, we shouldn't forget, uh, that's an interesting uh, other point, which is which is often overlooked, that in terms of some of the foreign policy issues, like uh, Russia or Turkey, the Greens are more hawkish uh, than the CSU, more hawkish than the Social Democrats, and more hawkish than many in the Christian Democratic Party. Okay, so um, who's going to be foreign minister and who's going to be finance minister in a Jamaica coalition? Hmm. I believe in a Jamaica coalition in anything but a grand coalition. The Christian Democrat will hold on to the finance ministry because that's the key to a lot of other things. So Lindner would be economics minister and Chair Mozdemir would be foreign minister? For example, no, that, that could be the case. Um, uh, I, don't see, I don't see Merkel giving that up easily. You know? and, and she has, with Wolfgang Schäuble, as Ulrike said before, she has a real trump card in her hands because anybody who wants to succeed Schäuble in that office will have to pay a very high price to the Christian Democrats in order to get that. So uh, I think you know, she will try to hold on to that. And, but if she would be ready to give it away, it needs to be a substantial uh, concession by the party who wins it. Okay, should we go on to the final possible coalition that you three have mentioned, which is the, a grand coalition? 
How would that be different from the status quo? Well, uh, should there be another grand coalition, uh, it would be one that is even lesser liked by the two sides than the previous one. Um, and it is one in which probably the Social Democrats would enter into from a uh, from an even weaker position than in the last uh, grand coalition. Um, at the same time, uh, in order to improve their own position, uh, I think Schulz is almost obliged to demand uh, that the Social Democrats take the finance ministry. They have had it in the first grand coalition under Angela Merkel's uh, chancellorship with Per Steinbrück as finance minister. So, you know, there is a precedent already. Uh, so uh, they need to claim this in order to be in a key position in the government, to be part of the European business and to be part of all of the distributional decisions um, in federal politics, something that they uh, did not pursue the last time, which I think they now see as a mistake. That's interesting. Uh, what about the other conditions that the SPD might put on forming a coalition? Uh, Schultz has put forward four propositions as his red lines, as his essentials that need to be met in order for the SPD to even think about a coalition. Uh, and the three of them have to do with uh, domestic uh, social policy, have to do with uh, uh, limited contracts, have to do with equal pay in the workplace, and have to do with um, the decent living um, requirements of people in precarious uh, job situations of low-income um, pensioners. And only the fourth is about uh, Germany's foreign policy, and that is uh, uh, without a clear commitment for a stronger Europe, uh, they would not enter into a coalition. Now, the fourth one does not principally uh, rule out a coalition with the Christian Democrats, because Macron would say, I'm, I'm as much in favor of Europe as you are. So this this is not no point of controversy. Whereas the other elements are classic distributional politics. You know, like in the previous um, legislative period where uh, the Social Democrats insisted on the minimum wage um, or they insisted on a correction of the pension formula to reward uh, people with a with 45 years on the job. You know? And so this is basically continuing uh, this agenda on other issues of social justice that uh, many in the country still feel need to be addressed. Were you, Ulrike, were you surprised when Schultz came out with four such easy-to-meet conditions? Because a lot of people think that being in a grand coalition has been a sort of uh, slow suicide pact for the SPD. Um, every single election, it does worse than the last one. It's not been able to be a conventional opposition um, and has been sort of complicit in Angela Merkel's rise and her hegemonic status within German politics. And many people thought that, you know, uh, if one thing um, good came out of uh, an election which would otherwise be very damaging for the Social Democrats, it would be the chance to re-establish itself as a party opposition to work out what its what its bearings were. Mm. Um, so, uh, why do you think um, Schultz came up with with something which looked like a, a kind of ploy to be part of another grand coalition? 
Mm. Well, I, I think, to be honest, I think the SPD is, is lacking visions here. Um, and I think you're right that grand coalitions have been a suicide pact for the SPD. And it's very interesting to talk to SPD voters and even SPD members these days, because I know a few <laughs> actually consider um, giving their vote to the CDU in order for the SPD to go into opposition. I mean, there's definitely... Um, a desire of a lot of SPD people um, that the SPD goes back into opposition to regroup, to reformulate these visions that somehow don't seem to be there, um, as you can see in these in these four demands or proposals, um, so that the SPD can come back. Um, so honestly, at this point, I think that that the SPD is is lacking visions that it can. Um, ask the CDU to, um, you know, that, can, that it can ask the CDU during the, the negotiations, which has a lot to do with um, the CDU moving further uh, left and taking some of the SPD's um, ideas. Um, I, I, there's also a last point I wanted to mention, which is that we, are, we keep talking about the grand coalition, um, but soon this coalition won't be so grand anymore. I mean, we're already down to only 60% of the votes of these two parties together. So um, the SPD, the, the closer it gets to 20%, the closer it gets to becoming um, not what we call a, a Volkspartei, a kind of you know big big party anymore, but but one of the smaller parties. So I think something really needs to happen, um, and therefore for the Social Democrats, they can't they can't continue like this. And if they get less than 23% of the votes, which is what the polls currently suggest, this is going to be their worst result in the history um, of the SPD since 1949. But from what you're both saying, it sounds like um, going into government again would be bad for the SPD, but could actually be by far the best outcome for Europe. If you got rid of Wolfgang Schäuble and his um, uh, Schwarze Null, which uh, is a blockage to any progress on economic policy at a European uh, stage and have um, the support of the SPD for, uh, for a, a more united European policy, it could be a lot less complicated than any of the other scenarios for, for, the, for other member states, not least. Well, well um, exactly. You say, you say best, but it's actually easiest. So I'm not, I'm not sure whether I'm 100%, uh, whether I 100% agree with you, because it's true that a continuation of the Grand Coalition would probably be less the least complicated one for the European um, stage, and it's going to be easiest to negotiate with Emmanuel Macron. But, you know, I, I don't think that um, a um, CDU-FDP coalition is, is going to be bad for Europe. It's just going to be a bit harder to negotiate with France. What do you think, Josef? Well, I tend to agree with you, Mark. Uh, I think it is, it is a more constructive uh, a coalition, even though one should not overestimate the Social Democrats. You know, once in government, the Social Democrats very well know uh, about the reflexes of the German public. So uh, even if they succeeded in in um, naming um, the, the finance minister, that finance minister would have to, to be very careful uh, to not uh, get out of touch with the mainstream thinking um, uh, in the public, or at least be able to give a very solid reason for uh, wanting what he wants or doing what he does. So that, that I think, is no carte blanche for Macron or for, for others in Europe. Uh, Germany will still be um, uh, a rather difficult partner in there, but it could be a somewhat more uh, constructive partner. So 
we know what you think is going to uh, should happen. Um, what do you think will happen? Um, maybe you could both give me a, a set of percentages that you'd attach to each of the three scenarios. Well, I think that the black-yellow coalition has maybe a, a 5% chance. The um, Jamaica coalition has a 45% chance and uh, a, the Grand Coalition a 50% chance. What about you, Ulrike? Interesting. Um, I think the black-yellow CDU liberal coalition has about a 20% chance. I think the FDB is going to do better than we think now. It may be sufficient. I think Jamaica has a 1% chance. I don't see that happen at all, although they will be pre-negotiations, um, which leaves, I guess, <laughs> quite, quite a big majority for a continuation of the Grand Coalition. So people in France will be breathing a big sigh of relief by the sound of, what your, uh, of your predictions. Um, we will know soon enough how far off the mark your predictions were and whether um, we did a better job of predicting the German elections than we did of the, the predicting the Brexit uh, referendum and the, the American elections last year. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do let all of your friends and acquaintances know about it by tweeting about it, writing about it on your Facebook side or ours, but above all, by giving us a review on iTunes. And if you do that, we have still a few end of the world mugs, which are pretty amazing. They say that the end might be near, but the coffee's still warm and have a beautiful picture on them. And we will be sending those to the very best reviews that we get on our website. So if you write us a review, please send me an email at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu and we will dispatch a mug to the best comment of this week. Many thanks for listening to us from Josef Janning, Ulrike Funke, and myself, Mark Leonard. It's goodbye. The researcher of our podcast is Jonathan Hakenbrosch and our editor is Pauline Goemin. <laughs>